0: Hello, this is Scott Bisbee, Ops Fitness Podcast. You are listening to episode 22 with Ryan Parrott, former Navy SEAL and founder of Sons of the Flag. This is an excellent, excellent podcast, and Ryan is a phenomenal human being for what he's done for the United States of America and what he's currently doing. I hope everyone listens to, to this podcast and finds out about Sons of the Flag. It's a great organization, and yeah cheers guys do not forget to like ops fitness on facebook and the actual group thanks have a good one welcome to ops fitness podcast with your host scott bisbee Hello, everyone. Welcome to a really great episode of Ops Fitness. I know I say really great all the time, but this is an actual great podcast because I have with me Ryan Pellet, who is a former Navy SEAL. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. Let's kick some butt today. Awesome. I am going to do something a little uh, different. Um before I ask you all these uh, questions, um, I, I usually have this uh, d- during the last of my podcast. It's called No Balls. So it'll be rapid fire response questions. Uh, only uh, one or two will respond. So you ready? Let's do it. Okay, awesome. Best purchase under the $100. Okay, best purchase in the $100? Yes.
1: <sighs> Diapers.
0: Naples, yes, they are (laughs) a (laughs) godsend. Country music or rap? Rock. Nice. Favorite song?
1: Favorite song. Man, that's a tough one. Man, you're asking some questions that are. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say. Bruce Dickinson, Abduction.
0: Nice. NFL or NHL? NHL. Right on. Favorite body part to train? My brain. Your brain, right on. Okay, Ryan. Uh that was a lot of fun. So uh where exactly did you grow up and uh what did your parents do?
1: Okay, so I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, um and then the outskirts of suburbs of Detroit. Um, my parents both are hard workers, the model Americans that you'd uh, typically see and want to be friends with. Mom spent 30 plus years in the medical community, um, still working to this day. She worked in oncology and then now nephrology. And my dad, you know, worked in journalism and marketing and advertising um, from EDS to Compuware and now is a uh, residential real estate. Owned his own real estate company for uh, several years and. Now does mostly fix and flips uh, just for fun, pseudo-retired. So, yeah, hard-working Americans and yeah, pretty much gave me everything I needed to, to have in life to continue on. So, you know, it's, they're awesome people.
0: Awesome, awesome. And uh, how was school for you? School for me sucked. School was
1: difficult because I didn't care. You know, I really didn't care about listening to the teachers. I didn't care about the academic portion. I really didn't care about anything, actually. You know, I played competitive hockey, but I didn't really care to excel at it. I just played the way I played, and I was kind of just in this real big lull or hitting this big wall uh, for years, failing almost every subject in school. Um, Just wasn't motivated. So it was pretty difficult. I mean, there was a point in time where I was failing almost every subject in school, and it didn't worry me at all. Uh, It was a bad place to be.
0: Nice. Um, What grade were you in when uh, September 11th happened? I was in uh, grade 11, and I remember that day just like you, but uh, I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, so I was a junior in high school.
0: Okay. Right on. Yeah, like... um, up in uh, Nova Scotia, it happened on a Tuesday and they actually closed the high school down for the rest of the week because all the airliners, uh, they uh, landed in Halifax and they needed uh, uh, a place to stay. So one of my high schools was uh, one of of the shelters. And uh, from that day on, I realized how small the world really was. Um, what made you uh, become a Navy SEAL? It was a
1: teacher um, in my junior year of high school. His name was Tom Barnes. Everybody called him Mr. Barnes. And he was a Marine in Vietnam who served honorably. And he would always wave his American flag 100 miles an hour, super fired up, was extremely motivated. And one day he came into the class and he talked about this group called the SEALs in the Navy and, you know, back then we didn't know anything about SEALs and there wasn't a whole, there wasn't a big push on them. They're very covert. And that was interesting. So listening to him, listening to him to talk about them, I said, that's exactly what I want to do. So I stayed after class that day and asked him about it. And he's like, man, you really think that this is what you want to do? You're not even passing my subject, which is an elective. How are you going to pass one of the toughest military training the world has? And you can imagine what my face looked like at that point. <laughs> But ultimately, I mean, that was the, the kickoff, the start to what my new life would look like is, you know, getting motivation. But like I, I was saying, it was, it was not enough. You know, it's, I had the idea, but I wasn't, I didn't have the spark, I didn't have the will to want to do it. You know, it's, it took more. It really took a change in trajectory of all of our lives. It took 9-11. 9-11, this is the, the worst day in our history that I'm aware of. It was the worst day in my life or you saw this, these two buildings crumble, knowing that was a terrorist attack and that almost 3,000 people were killed that were our people. It was just the most horrific thing I'd ever seen with my own eyes. And, you know, it's a lot of people see these things that are unique in their lives where they see, you know, the first space shuttle launch back in the day or whatever it may be. But for me, it was that that changed the trajectory. And I knew right at that point in time on 9-11 that I was going to go join the military. So I left class that day and went to uh, the recruiter station to go enlist. I was too young at the time. I couldn't go. Um, obviously, I wasn't trying to deploy or leave right then, but I was trying to get into the service. And I had to wait a couple of months until I turned of age. But I went into the delayed entry program um, when I was of age, which is called the DEP program, um, where they basically you sign up, you take your ASFAB, and then you sign your contract. And then you wait your spot until you graduate. And then after you graduate, you go to boot camp. So I made that happen. And on 9-11, right after that day, I was in the gym every single day, at the YMCA training, doing calisthenics, swimming, running, doing everything I possibly could when all my buddies were, you know, hanging out, you know, whatever they were doing, drinking beer or whatever. I was in the gym working out and kind of gave up on some of my friendships to just to get after it. But ultimately I knew where I was going. Didn't know if I had what it takes to make it, but I knew where I was headed, so I had to get prepared for it. And uh, yeah, got my grades up to A's and B's, graduated on the honor roll, which was super exciting. My parents, grandparents got to see that, which was really neat. And then uh, right after um, graduation, I left uh, for Navy boot camp.
0: Now, Ryan, you mentioned in a podcast, Behind the Shield, that there are two types of individuals that that succeed in the SEALs, that's can-do people, like you and I, I had to do basic uh, training twice, it's a long story, and people that are literally born to join the service and are freaks of nature how important is it to have the proper mindset and and to have a never give up attitude in not just the military but in life as well
2: I truly believe that there are two different types of guys that make through uh, specifically the seal teams or the seal training um, and just in life you know if you want to persevere in life they're the warriors and the doers Um, I said this several times before but the warriors are the people who are born to do great things it's not something that they adopt or learn to become they are born to do that job and then there are the doers, and the doers are the ones who have to work their butts off every single day just to get close to the level of the warrior, you know, and that's that's really who I think I am as a doer, because there's no way in heck I was ever a warrior. <laughs> I wasn't born to do any of this stuff. I was just, you know, I really tried hard, and, you know, it was hard. It was, nothing's easy in life, nothing at all, um, and so you just got to push through it and get after it. Ultimately, though, I think it's super important in life to look at who you are and you know what you do, um, because if you're not doing to the best of your ability, somebody's right there waiting to take your position, your spot, your job, whatever it may be. They're doing; they're the warriors or the doers, and so you always have to keep up to at least one of those in order to uh, you know make it in life. And if you're not doing the warrior way or the doer way, then you're gonna have a rough time in life. So you got to look at who you are and what you're striving for. And then really persevere. And um, like I said, if you're even thinking about which one you are, you're probably definitely not the warrior. Um, But you can always be a doer. It's just getting up off your butt and doing the work every single day to the best of your ability and never taking no for an answer.
0: So uh, can you uh, talk about the tours that you have been on and uh, why did you start up Sons of the Flag? Yeah. I mean, the tours
1: that I served on, it was, you know, it's just like any other military branch and unit that deploys to combat, you know, you're going to go uh, during the time of war to do the job. So I was very lucky where I got in at the right time where the war was kicking off and um, I knew that the first thing was going to be to learn the job and then we were going to go get after it. So um, when I joined uh, after making it through SEAL training with class 246, I went to uh, SEAL Team 7, and I deployed three times back-to-back with SEAL Team 7. So I did a 2005 deployment, a 2007, and a 2009 deployment. All three of those were to Iraq. And, um, you know, the nature of the war was different. Every location we went to, and, um, you know, it was very unique. And um, there were some really good times, and there were some really bad times. But ultimately, you know, being part of a team is the greatest thing you can possibly imagine. You know, you never go into bad places on your own. And if you do, it's going to be a bad outcome. But if you go into bad places with a good, good mission and you've got a team behind you, you're going to be successful. So I was very fortunate in that. And plus, you know, I was one of the younger guys there. So I got to learn from all these guys who are alpha males who had been there, done that and had good word to spread for me. And so I I say like I was raised by my parents, but I was also raised by warriors at a young age. And they gave me some great tools for success in the future. And, uh, you know, as you make your way up the chain of command, you know, you get more rank and you have more responsibility. Um, and I did eight years in service, you know, I did three platoons at team seven, and then I decided to go over to training to be an instructor, uh, give back to the community. And then, um, after my eight year mark, I decided to get out to try new things. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure what it was going to look like for me getting out, you know, leaving a community like that is very difficult. Um, it was a very tight-knit bond. It's a very good community. Um, and it's hard when you get out because not everybody runs at the same level that you do or they do. So really having to understand that was number one. Two, being in a corporate setting is a very difficult thing for somebody who's always outdoors, doing activities, utilizing their, their fitness and their body, and going and sitting behind a desk is not quite the thing that you know, inspires us at the end of the day. And I don't really think that it inspires anybody on this earth to sit behind a desk. Um, but I got out to do, uh, it was interesting. I got out to take a job in a unique uh, company and it didn't quite work out. You know, it's just, I didn't ever ended up taking the job. I ended up uh, going straight from out of the service into a security firm called Trident in Dallas, Texas. And it was interesting. They were, You know, we we're doing different things, uh, just protecting people, um, your typical security stuff. And getting to meet a lot of people along the way, and in meeting a lot of people during that time frame, I met an Army Ranger who was severely, severely burned um, from an IED attack in Iraq. I'm sorry, it was Afghanistan. Um, and seeing his injuries, it, it shed some light on something that I'd never seen. You see, we see different types of injuries. You can see gunshot wounds, you see amputations, you see things like that. But when it comes to a burn, a burn doesn't look like a burn. Like it does months later, it changes. And so, seeing disfigurement, I had to ask him point blank, "Hey, what are they doing for you guys today?" And he said, "This is as good as it gets for me." And that was hard to hear because you know you immediately want to put yourself in their shoes and and think about that. And you and I ask everybody to think about that. If you're sitting there and you're looking in the mirror, getting yourself ready for work today, and you put your shave on and you do your hair, and you make sure that your uniform or your suit or whatever you dress in is good to go so that you're presentable to have meetings. And then all of a sudden, a traumatic injury happens, and you're you're based at a hospital for a long period of time with horrific surgeries that have to endure. And then you get out of the hospital, and you go home, and you look in the mirror, and you can't identify yourself anymore. How do you live your life? How do you carry on? And that was something that I really, really thought right then and there, is what would I do in that scenario? So I immediately went home that night and I started studying online to look at you know, what I could do for him, what was there available to him. And I couldn't find anything, I came up short. So the next day I called him and I said, hey man, I don't know if you remember me from yesterday. And he goes, yeah, I sure do. I said, I was looking to do some, I was doing some research on uh, burns last night to see if I could find anything for you. And I really couldn't find anything. So I want to start an initiative to help you and, and men and women like you. Um, would you join me? And he said, man, I'd be honored. And I was like, okay, cool. That's all I needed to hear. So I rounded up a team of hardcore men in Dallas, Texas that are you know, entrepreneurs, strong business leaders, some veterans, first responders. And in January of 2012, we became sons of the flag. And the idea is we call ourselves the resource for burn survivors. We know that we can't do the job alone and on our own but we know that we can fill gaps and voids in the system. And right now there are gaps and voids in the system of burn care. And so I spent the last five years of my life traveling the country, talking with key physicians to nurses, practitioners, um, any kind of medical providers within the burn realm, to the patients, the most, uh, the most important part of it, the end user, um, to find out what latest and greatest is, where the gaps are, and how we can fulfill them. And the whole idea with this was how do we help the patient? And so over the last five, six years now, we've generated an organization that has multiple states open, 25 states actually, that have task force leaders, we call them, which are our local boots on the ground team leaders, all volunteers, have quite a few volunteers across the nation to help us put the mission out there into use. And the idea is if you're a veteran or first responder that's been critically injured by a burn... You get in touch with Sons of the Flag, and then we'll put you in touch with a team of reconstructive burn surgeons to look at you head to toe, to look at how they can fix you, to give you what you need, to either get you back on the job or to get you back to the best quality of life you can possibly have. No burn is too small and no time is too, uh, Or I don't even have a saying for it. It's just get after it right now. There's no time to wait. So we we take patients in veterans, first responders, all across the nation. Um, it's a really cool deal, and we have two programs that we focus on primarily here at Sons of the Flag. One is our Mission Reconstruct Freedom program. Where, whereas you're a veteran or a first responder, you go on our website, which is sonsoftheflag.org, and you enlist for help. You basically submit your proposal online to us. Um, you can fill in the uh, the, the questionnaire and then it submits us to us where we can look at your case and then we submit it to the doctor team to where we'll set you up with a Skype consultation with this team of doctors to look at you and come up with a game plan as to how they can work you and, and fix what your disabilities might be. At that point, Sons of the Flag will carry all costs to fly you and a family member out to Tampa, Florida, where we'll, you'll undergo treatment at Tampa General Hospital through USF, University of South Florida. And you'll be working with some of the finest reconstructive burn surgeons this country has. So you're getting an elite team, what we like to call the SEAL team, of doctors to provide this care. And we cover all costs so that nothing comes out of the patient's pocket. And we get you back on your feet. And we're not, you know, we don't say that every time. We can't guarantee 100% everything you need in your life is fixed but we're an avenue, what we call ourselves the resource. We are a resource for you to actually get a secondary opinion and then critical care if you need um, through our doctor team. That's Mission Reconstruct Freedom Program. Our second program is called the Fellowship Program. That's where we look at the lack of doctors that are in burn care right now. See, there's about 400 and they say over 400,000 people that get burned in this country every year. The American Burn Association looks at the numbers and pushes word out on what statistics are. So if you look at a number like that, and then you look at talking with some of these burn reconstructive surgeons, roughly we've heard numbers right now where there's anywhere from 120 to 200 accredited burn surgeons nationwide. That's a small, small number, a very niche field. Not every city has a burn unit. In fact, not every state has a burn unit. And so when you look at that, wow, that's terrible. So the idea for us is we wanted to create doctors to add to the burn mix. So by taking a doctor in their residency and giving them an extra year or two follow-on care to become burn surgeons, to learn and train under burn surgeons, we're adding another doctor to the mix. And they're going to work on, in patient care during the residency, and they're also going to work in the labs doing research, which is us forwarding research. So that's a big deal to actually forward research because burn care hasn't really changed since Vietnam. We're very limited in what we can provide our burn patients. Huh. So we've hired three doctors up to this point, And it's extremely exciting stuff. And we spend time vetting these doctors. We don't just say, okay, we want to scholarship a doctor who's got a really good resume. Um, it's about, is this doctor going to stick with burn care for the duration of their term as a doctor? Um, we want somebody who's fascinated by the injury, who's going to stop at nothing to make sure they take care of their patients and to fix the pro- problem. So Mission Reconstruct Freedom is you know your support. If you need help, physical, uh, physical help, you submit through sonsoftheflag.org and we can help you out, um, if you're a veteran or first responder. And then program two is the fellowship program. If there's a doctor in the residency that is looking towards burn care, um, they can submit an email to us at sonsoftheflag.org and we'll take a good look and vet them, talk to doctors that work with them to see if they're the right candidate and then we'll scholarship that doctor to become a burn surgeon. So those are two things that we primarily focus on. Um, our, our organization focuses primarily on veterans and first responders nationwide, but we're, we've definitely helped civilians in the past as well, from pediatrics to adult. Uh, we funded different, multiple different burn camps or pediatric burn camps across the nation. Um, a few years back, we teamed up with Mercury One and Glenn Beck's organization to um, fund 14 different pediatric burn camps across the nation. So that was a really, really fun, inspiring deal. And then we've helped on case by case basis different individuals that needed help uh, from anything from you know a surgery, travel, stay, um, burn garments and creams. We've set up an endowment at a hospital in Dallas, Texas, um, at UT Southwestern Parkland Hospital for patient indigent patients that need proper tools when they leave the hospital who might not have insurance. To giving a hundred thousand dollar grant to the Emanuel Burn Center out in Portland, Oregon, to help finish off their family home for when the patients come into the burn center, their family has a place to stay. So we make significant gifts. Um, we don't just push out $1,000 or $100 here and there. Um, case by case we do, but we try to do significant gifts to make absolute impact. So it's been an unbelievable journey. We've been in existence 16, uh, six years, and we just feel like we're getting started now. So it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Wow. You, man, are an entrepreneur in every sense of the world. Like you uh, saw something that wasn't to your liking and you did something about it. So kudos to you. That is really amazing.
1: Well, thank you, brother. I mean, I understand what it means to serve our country. And I also understand what it means to serve people who serve our country. And there are a lot of people who are less fortunate when they come back from service and they might not be as whole as they used to be. And it's our job to take care of them when they come back. That's what this nation was founded on and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take care of our people. So, you know, it's anybody who wants to join our team, we're open. We love having more volunteers on the team because then we can just grow the network even bigger and make sure that every single person knows that Sons of the Flag exists. And then we can finally conquer this mission altogether. You know, my plan with Sons of the Flag, everybody asks what the 10 year plan is or whatnot. And we have plans, but none of those plans are important. The fact is we got people that are injured right now that need our help. So we focus really here and now on the programs we've provided and put together. Um, But my ultimate goal would be to shut Sons of the Flag down. You know, let's help these doctors initiate new treatments let's help these patients get through the correct surgeries because we're never going to shut a burn from happening. Burns are always going to happen. Accidents always happen and war is war. So we can never stop the burn from happening completely. But if we can get the technologies and the treatment advanced so well that they can fix the problem, then there's going to be no need for us. And if there's no need for us, we will find another place to go and another area to help patients who need our help. So we're never going to stop serving. It's just a matter of how fast can we help and, you know, how much impact can we make in our life?
0: Right on. So that's the end goal of a sense of a flag to make sure everybody is up to standard or more?
1: I mean, absolutely. I think our end goal is to really, you know, fill those gaps like we talked about in the beginning. You know, really fill those gaps on, you know, what these hospitals need, what these patients need. Answer those questions for them with some data and also with some fix, with some help. So, but yeah, I think the end goal with every charity is to fix the problem completely, you know, to get it either isolated where we can fix the problem and, you know, make it streamlined as a process where they know it's going to take this and then it's going to be done or to advance it so well that it's closed down and there's no need for us to be a charity for burns anymore. You know, and I don't know, I I would, I pray all the time that, you know, in our lifetime, we'll see that change um, and I hope it happens. But if it doesn't happen, we're going to be here to make sure it does.
0: That's that's excellent. Really good. So um, let's kind of uh, dive a little bit on this uh, subject. You kind of touched a bit on it in the written in, interview, but uh, how how does it to uh, kind of find your bearings uh, when you leave the military? Because I don't know about yourself, but uh, when I got out of the military, I had no idea what I wanted to do. and. It was kind of like like being born again, uh, in a way, because I had to uh, kind of learn uh, the civilian way of life again, if that makes sense.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it does. Absolutely. I mean, it's tough. It's difficult. You know, the, the military is very good at providing you with a great life. Um, they give you everything you need to survive and live and thrive. And then when you get out of that, you don't have all those checks and balances. You're basically given the grace to be free to do whatever you want without any bearing anymore. You know, so it's difficult because now you really have to, you know, there's a standard you have to present yourself. You know, I know the standard in the military. I got to be at the office by 0700 or 0800 every morning. I have to be in the proper uniform, non-negotiable. And I have to do the job that is presented to us every single day. There's word of the day that comes out and I got to do it. So it's pretty simple, and the work and the job's not done until the job's not done or until the job's done. So you know it's just it's simple. But when you get out in the civilian world, there's not that. You know, there's nobody that says you have to wear this uniform today. You have to do this every single day. Um, it's different. It's different. It's fluent. It's adapt and overcome. It's dealing with people that might not be as motivated or might have different goals or agendas. And there's a lot of different things. And it's it is difficult to. You know, get back into society. But the best way you can do it, simply put, is make sure that you surround yourself with good people who are honorable, who are smarter and better than you. That is the number one thing. I mean, when you're in the military, that's the last thing I thought of was, you know, making any kind of connections. Because I never planned on getting out. I never thought, you know, three feet down the road. I just wanted to do my job. But if you can start utilizing your contacts and just, you know, making friends with them and then really finding out who's in your corner to want to help you succeed. When you decide to get out, you already have that in motion and then you can smoothly transition outside of the service. It's never going to be the same. You're never going to have the same setting in the civilian sector as you do in the military. So you have to really be aware of that right off the bat. It is different, but that doesn't mean it can't be great. I mean, having my my wife and my child, I've got everything I need, being able to work at an awesome organization that keeps me still invested in the military and the first responder community now. Um, you know, I've really been blessed to be a part of this. And, you know, that's, that's really been my, you know, help to get out of the service, to get back into it in service to our nation. So, you know, really, really take a good look at your overall life where you're at in the military. And that transition doesn't need to be as hard as we sometimes make it.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I was probably, uh, uh, I spent uh, three or four months. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and uh, before I got married to my wife, um, she was kind of saying to me, "You should uh, open up your uh, personal training studio." And I was, I was petrified. I was scared, and I basically opened it up, and I haven't looked back. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yep, you bet. How important is exercise and, and nutrition for someone that is recovering from uh, a burn in uh, sense of a flake in, in your program?
1: Well, I mean, I'm no doctor, so I'm not speaking as a doctor or any kind of medical provider. But I think, I mean, fitness and nutrition are absolutely critical to any kind of recovery. I mean, it is absolutely important. You have to look at what you're putting in your body, and I say this when I, you know, I'm not a So called burn survivor. I was burned very minimally in the service. But when you endure a a major traumatic injury and then you have multiple surgeries, putting good things in your body that are only going to help your body recover is absolutely important. Recovery is super important. I mean, if you're putting things in your body that are inflammatories when you have skin that's restricted, I mean, that's a problem right there. So you want to put good stuff in your body. Um, That's just logic. Two, I mean, the recovery effort is almost more critical than the surgery itself because it's how you, out, or how you come out of that surgery and what you do to actually help your body heal uh, is going to be your better outcome. You know, If you sit on the couch after your surgery for the next five months of your life, putting opioids in your system, you're going to have a really bad outcome. But if you follow protocol that doctors and the nurses and PTs provide, you're going to have a better overall outcome and you're going to get back to where you need to be. It's grueling work and it sucks. You know, it's, it's terrible that you have to endure that even after the injury, you know, doing just knowing that you were doing your job, but that's the new world for them for a time being. And so they, you know, it's just like anything in the military. You just got to do what you're supposed to do. So, okay, my job now is to recover to get back to the job as best as I can. So I'm going to follow the protocol. It's, it's important. It's extremely important.
0: Right on. Right on. Um, we're going to rewind a little bit. Um, how important was your fitness in being overseas? And uh, uh, I know you guys didn't have access to, like, uh, say, all the fancy gyms that we have here. Um, so what did you do instead for exercise? I know a uh, fellow uh, Navy SEAL, uh, Randy Hetrick, uh, who invented the T.O.X. kind of uh, uh Walked out on some uh, parachute webbing and st- stuff like that, so how will you guys creative in your fitness r- routines
1: well i mean so that 's the thing you don 't need an elaborate fancy gym in order to get work done you know it's, we call it body by workup so you know you you need i mean you can do everything you need to stay fit just with your own body push ups, sit ups dips i mean i 'm not a you know fitness expert. I have a lot of teammates that are super into the fitness world and Obviously their bodies show it, but, um, it's, it's about just doing the work. You know, you get yourself a 30 to 30, 45 minute session of doing workouts and then mixing them up, shaking things up, getting some runs in, you know, the earth provides you everything you need. So you've got ground, you can run on it. You've got ground, you can do push ups off of it. You can do whatever you need, uh, to get after it. So there's no excuse for not working out. Sometimes in our daily life, we get exhausted and we get burned out, but there really is no excuse for it. You've got everything you need right around you. In an office, I've got a desk, I've got flooring, I can do workouts to get my body going, get the endorphins kicking. Um, and so you don't really need a lot. We bring gym equipment with us so that we can train. And that's part of our protocol every day when we're overseas, even in combat. You know, when you get a little low, you need to hammer out some aggression or you need to just dial it down a little bit. You go into the gym, you pump some iron. Or we like to call it jack and steel. So you do whatever you can when you can to keep yourself fit. And that's just it.
0: Nice. Why do you think fitness is important for the first responder? I'm not necessarily talking about Navy SEALs here because they have to be uh, fit for the job. But I'm talking about the firefighters of the world or police or paramedic, etc.
1: It's critically important because your number one job is to make sure to keep our civilians safe. And you have to be fit in order to do the job because, yeah, sure, it's easy to go do the simple stuff, rescue a cat out of a tree or a kid out of a tree, even though it does require a degree of fitness. But when the times go awry and bad things happen, you have to, not re- you have to be able to rely on what the time and effort that you've put into yourself. And so it's critically important when your job is to take care of people and save people's lives especially when you're in bad scenarios, when you're in gunpoint, when you're a police officer, when you're, I mean, even gunpoint today, when you're a firefighter, to going in a burning building with stuff as potential to flash or to crash over or to um, crash down on you or collapse. You've got to be able to keep your mind strong, but also get through it and endure it and and not focus so much on your injuries as to focus on winning the fight, getting the patient out of there. So, you know, that's the the deal. I think it's just as, just as important. I'll put military first responders in the same category. I mean, they're all in service to our nation. They might have a little bit different uh, degree of a job or it might fight a different enemy. I say you know, military fights, you know, bad people overseas. And that, you know, the fire service, they fight a, a fire, which is, you know, a, a terrorist just in a different form. Yeah. You know, police are also protecting us against people who want to do horrible things. So everybody has might, may, might have a different enemy, per se, but at the same time, it all requires a degree of fitness in order to take it on. You don't ever want to be that guy or girl who can't cut the mustard or fails the mission because you are not in shape to do it.
0: Exactly. Well said. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Getting back to living in the moment, I would say
1: number one. I think it's critical that we realize where we're at in life. I, 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 Multiple times everybody focuses on the future and they're so far ahead of themselves that they're not enjoying the ride that's happening before them. They're not enjoying the journey that they're taking to get to that place that they think is the end goal. Because what does the, that, that finale that win means it's the end of that particular thing. And as it's exciting, it's also over, I think. So that sucks. But really realizing that, what did it really take to get there? Not all of it's hard and bad. A lot of it's good and inspiring, but we typically don't focus on those little wins that are actually the big wins in life. Um, And we just want to get caught up with what's the end result. So by really living in the moment and understanding that you don't guarantee that tomorrow is tomorrow for you, you could pass away today um, and it could be over. So Really getting back to what, you know, I'm here today. This is an awesome day. I'm going to live today and enjoy it. And every success that comes in, cool. Every failure that comes in, we got to attack and know that, you know, I'm going to do my best today and then tomorrow is another day. So really stop getting caught up on the longevity and really enjoy the moment. Has your son helped you with that? Yeah, I think inevitably that does, it slows everybody down. Yeah. It you and it humbles you and it also makes you, less selfish.
0: Yes. For sure. you realize
1: that you, it's all about them. It's all about your child and it's all about everything you give to them. And it's the first time in your life that you get to be a 24 seven mentor. So I think that's a big responsibility and it's not something that can go overlooked. If you want to put 20 minutes into your kid a night, well, you'll realize the result when they're running all over you. But if you put the time and effort in to make sure they have a strong upbringing and they understand values, um, that's a big key. So and that slows you down too, especially when you know you only get so much time before they have to go down to bed because they're little. You've really got to do time management to say, okay, i got to bust my butt during the day and really work on the things that are super important and then make sure I come home in time to be able to take care of the baby and have time with them to make sure that I'm a father figure in their life.
0: Yeah, uh, ex- exactly. Um, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and Why? Donate to sonsoftheflag.org. <laughs> That's perfect. Awesome. I love it. Uh, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? <laughs>
1: Rely on my team. Nice. We have a Monday, a Monday morning monster every week to discuss the things that are happening currently and what will happen in the future in the, work, in the work week. And we discuss whose roles and responsibilities those are. Um, and any time that there's, you know, something that comes up that wasn't part of the plan, we uh, organize ourselves together collectively and then attack the mission. So, you know, rely on the team versus trying to take on the burden yourself.
0: So really, uh, this team is really no different than uh, when you served with the SEALs? No, it's different mission set, but no,
1: same type of deal. I mean, that's, I, I don't, I don't take credit for anything I've created here. I think, you know, first of all, God creates everything, so... I'm following his plan. But secondly, this is the same thing that I've done in the military. You form a team up and then you go attack a mission.
0: Awesome. Great. I have uh, two more questions for you. Uh, what advice would you give uh, to someone that, say, wants to become a Navy SEAL or just wants to join the military or a firefighter or whatnot? Yeah, it's a good question.
1: I have to ask you know people all the time when they want to serve our country, why do they want to serve? what is their why in life? That's number one. And they really have to figure that one out for themselves. It's not a question that I demand an answer for, and they're not going to be a seal or a firefighter unless I say it's good as Ryan Parrott. It's about them. Why internally do they feel they want to do this? And what is their why? And then number two, what's the spark that's going to drive them to get there? What is that one thing they'll latch on to that will make them persevere in those horrible, tough, strong situations that they've not been privy to before. Um, that's in, super important. So yeah, I'd say that's it. And then if they really, really wanna do it, don't, don't uh, hesitate, get after it.
0: Great, great. And what would you say to uh, that person in the military that is uh, struggling uh, with the uh, fitness? How would you, um, they're motivated, but they don't know where to start. How would you help them?
1: I mean, it's simple. You start small. You don't have to go and raise a million dollars today and become a multimillionaire. Everybody wants to be, but it just doesn't work like that. Not for the most majority anyway, you know, start small and work your way. What, what is the rush to get yourself to looking like Arnold tomorrow? Your time is about doing the right workouts so that you don't have injuries over time. So take your time, get into it, ease into it, and then get yourself a good routine because that's what life's all about and that's what makes everything easy is building and factoring in a routine in your life that suits your ability to do the best you can.
0: Great, great. And once again, Ryan, I would really like to thank you for being a guest on uh, this podcast. Is there any uh, puzzling remarks you would like to add? Uh, I think Number one thing, if you
1: know anybody that's been burned who's a veteran or first responder, Um, we're open and willing to help in any way we can Um, we have our programs that we can facilitate help and care but we don't turn patients away we want to understand what they're going through learn from them and you know try to help them as best as we can so everybody check out sonsoftheflag.org you know give us feedback and what we're doing and uh, hopefully you sign up for the newsletter everybody to do that because That way you can keep involved in what we're doing and see the successes that we're uh, working hard towards.
0: Great. And that's where people could get a hold of you too? Yep. You can get a hold of us through sonsoftheflag.org. Our contact information is located there. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thanks so much. And I'll see everyone else in a few weeks. Thanks again for listening in. Bye, everyone.